Scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 5. Verses 13 to 26. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian church. You think of the Holy Bible. You think of paper and ink. Um, That's how we have known it for many, many years. And now it can be on our phones as well. Um, Laptops. Today will be a first for me that when I'm up here reading scripture, I'm reading from my phone instead of my hard copy. Because I'm reading out of the ESV, I haven't bought a hard copy yet of the ESV translation. But I had memorized some of these verses that I'm sharing today, and so it's easier for me to read out of the ESV for this time. And I'm going to start with, I asked Wes if this was okay, to start with the first verse of chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And now verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to just jump in to uh, this 
overall letter that, that Paul's writing uh, to the churches of Southern Asia Minor in the Galatian area, uh, there, these letters circulated to more than just one group of people. They were passed on and, uh, and circulated and shared for instruction. Paul wrote this letter about 48 AD. So about 48 years after Christ, um, roughly. And he wrote this letter uh, to the believers of the churches. And it's probably the most critical in terms of um, sharp kind of writing of any of Paul's writing. Paul can be very nurturing and caring and, and gentle. He also can be somewhat confrontive. And so in, this, in, in the, the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians, basically he spends the first two chapters defending something that he had been criticized for. They were criticizing his authority as being an apostle and a, and a, a person that was speaking on behalf of Christ's kingdom and, and the work of Christ. And so his first two chapters of Galatians are defending that and making the case for why he has been given this authority. The second two chapters were to correct uh, and, and, and address and give a, a more clear doctrine, correcting the, the misleading and deceiving teachings that a group of Judaizers had been doing in this, this church and these churches. And then finally, in the latter part of the book of Galatians, he ends up uh, making the, uh, the application of it to say, what's the impact for your life? What, what is the application of these truths that I've outlined and shared with you and established for you? He wrote to these churches um, because he wanted them to get back to what he had taught. He had literally about a year and a half before had been on his first missionary journey, was ministering to these churches for some time and wanting to get them back on track to what he had taught them. And when he finally got back from that first journey to Antioch, he ended up finding out that there were problems emerging because of a group of teachers that were demanding of Christians and new believers that they abide by the Mosaic law. And so here you have, and think about this, in, in your, for those working with the, the lesson this morning on this same passage, you know, to be able to discuss what kinds of issues come up even today where you see somebody that embraces their, their own truth and it becomes a new form of legalism imposed upon someone. And so you end up having this, this handling of the truth. And Paul wanted to be very, very clear to set them straight and to not let them go further because essentially they were going to destroy the church. And because of making the Mosaic law a requirement of the Christian faith, what they were also doing was claiming if you're preaching the grace that Paul talked about, the grace of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin for all who want forgiveness, then you're basically giving them license to go sin. 
We've heard that, haven't we? Now, you know, as a parent, uh, I was remembering as a child, I remember hearing the term naughty. That was not a good term because it usually meant that if mom was telling dad that Wes was naughty, it meant that I wasn't listening, wasn't obeying, and it meant big trouble for me. <laughs> you know, that I was going to get, if not spanked, or at least a chewing out and a scolding, and, and I, didn't, I, I never wanted that. But that whole idea of it is, the Judaizers were saying, well, you just are giving license for people to be naughty. You're giving license for people to go sin. And then they can just go sin and then ask for forgiveness. No problem. That's why we need our law and you've got to abide by this law. So you have this entrapment on both sides. Paul never intended, in fact, in Romans chapter 6, the very first few verses, he addresses this. So, so if, if God's grace is, is sufficient, then, then why don't I go on sinning? Because that grace then abounds even more. That's you know, certainly a paraphrase of that, that thought, but it's the whole idea that if their forgiveness is so easy, then, then why, what does it matter whether I'm sinning or not? And Paul was correcting this and saying, he answered that question, no, absolutely not. That is not the way that God calls us to. At the same time, we love to be in control. We love to be able to dictate our truth and to be able to, to, to tell people what the right thing is and the right way. And so we struggle because there are many, many challenges in which we end up developing our codes, our laws, and we simply replace the Mosaic law and the Old Testament law with our own version of it. And somewhere in the middle of all that, we're missing something very, very important. And, and Paul was really wanting to correct this imbalance because it was tearing the churches apart in this area. Um, and so he corrected it by first addressing the, their loyalty to him um, and, and addressing the false teachers uh, and correcting the fact that it was not a license for sin. And he was, uh, was addressing the extremes uh, between this freedom to sin and the legalism of having to be perfect before you can be saved. And that's the dilemma that we have portrayed. And, and this is the context in which Paul is writing. So some questions, initial questions to consider especially for those that are studying this for your Sunday school lesson. If Paul were writing to our churches today in our region, our culture, our country, what would the warnings be that he would give for us and for our revival? Because those warnings aren't just to say, stay away from this. And that's the misconcept of, of Christianity and the Christian faith. People want to say, all you care about is what we're not supposed to do. And if that's all your faith is going to be, it not only is legalistic, but it, you're going to be stuck. You're going to be bored with faith. You're going to reject this authority. 
you're going to reject any kind of, of control over your, the choices that you have because after all, we all know, don't we, that some of the, some of the Christian faith has taught that, that our, our, our country's laws and rules and all of that, that, that is our freedom. That's how we achieve the, the best. You're not going to take away my freedom and you have this contradiction even in our culture between whether or not we sacrifice and give up our rights for the sake of one other person to come to the Lord. That's the dilemma that Paul's really getting at, is do not use your righteousness to impact other people away from God as well. Another question, do we struggle with the tension between the grace view that you do what you feel, you'll be forgiven, and the legalism uh, with strict codes that are required for righteousness and justification? We love to be able to decide who gets justified and who doesn't. And it's hard for us to be able to give sin. I will just say I was challenged. I was challenged on vacation. You know why I was challenged? Now, you'll never guess this. I was challenged because we went out to eat a lot. Now, actually, that wasn't the challenging part. wasn't the food. It was great. The challenging part for me was, and this is a, this is a con- contentious issue in my family. So I'm, I'm laying it all out there for you. In Europe, or at least in Ireland and England, the UK, it is not customary to tip. They incorporate the tip, which is like a 10%, into the bill. All right? That doesn't sit well with me. I'm sorry, but I saw... I would constantly say to Cheryl, give him give an additional tip. I'm always pushing to give a little more, to give a little more. Yeah, you know, this waitress or waiter did such a good job. Let's give a little more. And, and, you know, the response was usually met with groans and rolled eyes and like, no, they have it built in. You don't do that. You know, and, and so this whole thing about uh, the restrictiveness, and, and I'm not calling my family sinners. <laughs> Always. But sometimes. But the whole point of Christianity is not what you can't do. It's the opportunity of what we can do. It's the, it's the ability to be able to bless and multiply and, and, and feed into other people's lives generously, as generously as what? I think you all know the answer to this. As generously as Christ gave us the gift of salvation, forgiveness, and the gift of reestablishing the blessing in our lives when we didn't deserve it and we don't deserve it. And yet it's such a wonderful thing. That's the part of faith that Paul wants them to get to. He's trying to get them beyond all of this this legalism stuff 
and get them to the point where grace is so powerful in our lives that it motivates us to want to give and to want to look at the best interests of others and to pour through God's spirit, pour out God's love into the lives of others. That's the power of what he's writing to. Now, we are in a culture that is rapidly moving to outlaw sin. How can we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit while speaking out the truth in love? In Acts 1.8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So revival, if you ever look up the word revival I, uh, or, or vital, which is the part of the root of that word, um, Stan Culp encouraged us, I forget in which setting it was one of the, the gatherings, to, to look that up, and I did. And I looked up the, the whole uh, definition of revival, and there were three things that I saw to it. A return to a state of activity That's what Paul was getting at. He wanted the Galatians to get back on track so that they could be spreading the gospel and sharing the love of Christ with other people. A second one was a renewed attention to spiritual matters and concerns. Yes, he wanted their attention. He wanted them to address these issues. And third was recovery of life after death. And that's not just ultimately when we die and the end going to heaven, uh, it's to, or hell, it's this question of how do we find new life through the death experience. There's a death all around us. And there's disappointments and discouragements. There's struggles, there's shocks. There's things we can't control no matter what we believe or what law we follow. The fact is that we experience loss all the time. But... God's love is greater. We've been singing about it in these songs this morning, about the work of the Holy Spirit, renewing us, leading us, guiding us, empowering us with a new sense of who we are and what we're called to do and be. And that is all part of this sense of recovery. The question that I leave this morning is, How do we balance vitality? How do we keep in step with the Spirit? That's what Paul was addressing. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? And the only way we can do that is through discipline. Um, I liked what Muhammad Ali said. He said, I hated every minute of training. But I said... Don't quit, suffer now, and live the rest of your life as a champion. Jesus did not enjoy his suffering. We do not enjoy our suffering. When things don't go well, we are not having fun. But the rest of our lives and the rest of eternity, we will live as champions champions of the faith, champions of Jesus Christ, champions that have overcome every single thing we've faced 
even death itself. And what a glorious day that will be when our Jesus we will see. When we see him face to face and understand in a new way the power of his grace all along. That is what we're called to. I don't have time this morning, but I'll just simply give you four things. We need to be disciplined in our heart. There needs to be a cleansing of the heart. Um, If you want passages, look at Hebrews uh, 10, 22 to 25. Let me just share the first verse of that, 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Yeah, that's how we keep in step with the Spirit is a disciplined heart. Um, Isaiah 57, 15 um, is another verse that I would give you. Psalm 51, 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's what we should ask for every day. Lord, today, renew a right spirit in me. Cleanse my heart and help me be prepared for what you have. Secondly, disciplined habits. And I, again, uh, don't have time, but I just think of if you're an athlete or a musician or, or in any field that you work in, if you aren't disciplined in what you do, if you don't go through the steps, um, you learn when you get older that if you're still playing any sports, you take a longer time to stretch out because you prepare for the workout even more than you did before. When you're young, you can just go play a game. When you're older, you gotta prepare for playing the game. We need to develop habits in our life. The disciplines of prayer and, and the disciplines of reading scripture and develop those habits day to day, week to week, that are going to enforce and reinforce the, the uh, uh, disciplined heart. And disciplined head. Uh, Paul says a lot about the mind. He has some wonderful writings, uh, and he, he calls for a Christ-like mind, a cleansed mind, a controlled mind, and a consecrated mind. Those are ways that we can develop a disciplined head. And finally, a disciplined sense of helping. Um, Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And I find that's one struggle in today's world is it's easy for us to know the truth. And the truth may set us free But if the way that we handle and minister that truth is not encouraging or building others up according to their needs, then we've just made it about us and not about Christ's call. And so we need to be disciplined as helpers in being able to do whatever is helpful because that's what it says. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs and that it may benefit those who listen so that the word of Christ goes out and the representation of Christ has a true impact. So uh, that 
our life will, with these disciplined areas will bring us closer to God. Uh, it will have an impact on other people. And we're to apply this. Davy Ellison of the Irish Baptist College points out four ways that we should seek revival in our sin-sick world. Make the Bible the core of everything we do. That's number one. Not just individually, but corporately. Second, genuine repentance. If you have never repented for anything, or if you've never, if you can't even remember the last time you asked for forgiveness for something that you know you did not do according to, uh, to the scripture and to God's way, repent, turn. That's all repentance means is to turn from that way and to turn back toward God. And then active obedience is, his, is Ellison's third one. Uh, have we removed any idols which hold the place in our hearts above the reference for an obedience to God? And finally, remember our salvation. Uh, the communion table, we, we always pause and pray and we remember what Jesus has done for us. And so if we want to see renewal really happen, we are going to have to call for, for these steps of renewal and open ourselves again. Paul was calling for a renewal in the Galatian churches to get back to the center, to be able to manage in order that we might keep in step with the Holy Spirit. There's much more we could say about it, but we'll leave that. And I'm sure some of you will be discussing that. Let me just close with uh, uh, just a real quick story. It is reported that St. Wenceslaus, the king of Bohemia, one winter's night was going to, make, uh, going to his devotions in the snow, barefooted. His servant, who endeavored to imitate his master's piety, Got, his feet got so cold he began to faint through the inclemency of the weather until the king, so he wasn't just a saint, he was the king of Bohemia and he was in a string of a long line of pagan worshipers and king's family members. Grandpa was a king, father was a duke and, and a long line of pagan and he was the one who said, I will seek God. And he's the one who gave himself over to Christ. And he's the one who said and understood that he would follow Christ first. So he was a saint and he was king. And as his, his uh, servant was struggling and, and barely being able to keep up, uh, he said to him and turned to him and commanded him, follow me closely and put your feet right in the places that my feet have gone. When you do, you will make it to where we're going. And so Jesus commands us to mark his footsteps and walk in his way. If we want to keep in step with the Spirit, follow the way and follow the footsteps of Jesus. Let's close with a, an upbeat song. Come on up. Um, I know this is really gonna sort of make some struggle because you don't think we ought to be dancing in church. 
And I don't think you have to dance, but can you let your heart dance? Can we stand and let the heart of what God is doing, his renewing work, the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to give us uh, a new life because the river of life is here. The river is here. That's what we're going to sing. Stand and let's sing together.